Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Um, After years of living with mysterious symptoms, a young girl from Brooklyn and a Duke University scientist are diagnosed with a disease said not to exist, chronic Lyme disease. The quiet epidemic follows the search for answers, which lands them in the middle of a vicious medical debate. What begins as a patient story evolves into an investigation into the history of Lyme disease dating back to its discovery in 1975. Terrific documentary film called The Quiet Epidemic. And we're joined today by the co-directors, Winslow Crane Murdoch and Lindsay Keyes. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, This is something that has been kind of in the zeitgeist for a while. I have, I heard about it more prominently a few years, maybe 10 years ago. And it's, it is something that is in some ways still a mystery, still, there's a lot of issues surrounding it. And Lindsay, I'll start with you. How did you become aware of Lyme disease and what prompted you and Winslow to move forward with a documentary film? Yeah, so Winslow and I both grew up in upstate New York in the woods and we didn't know each other, but we were following very very similar paths. We had been bitten by ticks and both ended up moving back home to upstate New York with our parents in our mid-20s. And at that point, you know, after testing negative for Lyme for years and not knowing what was going on, my mom had been sick with Lyme and she was the one who tipped me off to it being Lyme. She kept insisting. And I thought that she was just, you know, projecting her own illness onto me, but it turns out that mom is always right. And at this doctor's office that I went to, this Lyme disease specialist, the nurse practitioner asked me how I was going to get through this. And she said that patients that had a purpose had better outcomes generally. You needed something to focus on that was sort of bigger than yourself and, you know, the will to to live and endure really long and painful treatment for Lyme disease. So I told her that I was going to make a documentary about Lyme, which seemed unlikely at the time. I couldn't find anyone who would touch this story with me. And she said, oh, wow, we have another patient here who's your age, and he's a filmmaker with Lyme also. Do you want me to connect the two of you? So I wrote a note to this mysterious filmmaker with Lyme disease, and it ended up being Winslow. Winslow, what was your reaction when you got the note? (laughs) It's not every day that you get a note from from your doctor uh, from someone else trying to make a film about Lyme. I think that it was, you know, I think... I had been thinking about it as well. And so I think it felt very serendipitous, you know, and and it was one of those moments where Lindsay and I talk about not really choosing to do this. It just happened. And um, so she handed me the note. I I emailed Lindsay and um, it just snowballed from there. And here we are seven years, seven years later. So I think for both of us, you know, being diagnosed with Lyme disease is such a disorienting experience. Um, especially when you're young, especially when you're used to being healthy, to be thrown into the medical world is so strange. And then to be thrown into a medical world that really doesn't want to see you um, is even stranger. And so for us, the film was, uh, you know, we quickly had to sort of find our own way through that and choose who to trust. 
um, and sort through all of this material. And with the film, we wanted to make a tool so that people could go through that that process a lot quicker than we did, um, so that they could have something that shows them why it's so disorienting to be diagnosed with Lyme and what some of the potential ways out are. And so we pretty quickly realized that that um, given our skill set and and who we are and what and what we did, that this was a way that that we could um, make our experience into something uh, a little bit more valuable and, and and something that could hopefully help. I think we should describe what Lyme disease is or what it's been I even thinking about asking you the question what is Lyme disease feels like you know a voluminous and multi-layered answer would ensue but I think that let's boil it down to the basics what do we know about Lyme Lindsay what is the sort of the most basic bit of uh, elementary uh, information that we can talk about yeah so Lyme disease is caused by Borrelia burgdorferi which is the Lyme disease bacteria it's a spirochete, which is the same type of bacteria that causes syphilis. So some people draw parallels between Lyme disease and syphilis. And syphilis was known as the great imitator because it caused such a wide array of issues in people. Uh, it would, you know, supposedly mimic other illnesses, but we were wondering if, if it might in fact cause other illnesses. And the same can be said for Lyme. Lyme disease has been called the new great imitator. So the spirochete is a very complex, intelligent bacteria. It can drill through bones, uh, cartilage into organs. It can go into the nervous system, the brain, if left untreated for, for too long. So it's a very complicated illness. And I think, you know, what Winslow and I discovered by talking to all of these scientists is that this standard course of doxycycline, one simple antibiotic for two to four weeks, in many cases may not cut it when it comes to treating a bacterial infection that's that's so smart. And in, in many people, because the diagnostic test is not very reliable, some people have gone you know, months, years, decades without a diagnosis. And so treating that complicated bacteria with two to four weeks of doxycycline might not be effective, and it wasn't in our case. So um, I will also add that, you know, when people say Lyme disease, what they often mean is tick-borne disease. Most people with chronic Lyme or long-haul Lyme, some people are calling it now, uh, have overlapping tick-borne illnesses, and there have been no clinical trials in uh, treating those patients who have more than one infection. In the film, we see a what's a, a picture of the spiral it literally looks like a corkscrew and what is so in some ways just so tragic and terrifying about this disease it's not just the symptoms and the ability of it to mask itself and to be able to create other symptoms and illnesses along the way it's the other side which is so disheartening is the medical establishment and their reaction to this initial, well, I'll let you describe it, Winslow. I mean, this, the history of Lyme disease, just it's bad enough that it's a terrifying uh, disease to have, but also the the reaction to it from the medical side of things and the insurance side as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that's the hardest part about having Lyme disease is that you feel sick, um, but you mainly you feel, you know, dismissed and, and you feel like you can't go anywhere for help. 
the main characters in our film, Julian and Rico, they felt like they were um, victimized and abused at the hospitals that they went to when Julia was so sick. Um, and so for them, that, you know, that is a trauma that's lasting. And when they get really sick, they don't want to go to hospitals. They don't want to go to the doctor. So that's an incredibly lonely feeling to feel like you have something that is is incredibly serious serious that may be killing you um, and that you don't trust going to a doctor and being heard. You know, I think that it is, there's a lot of, there's just so many reasons for that. The fight has gotten so nasty between the two sides over this 45 year history, which is why we felt like it was really important to go into that 45 year history, because to understand why it's so hard to be a patient right now and to understand what these new scientists are pushing against, I think you need to understand why the controversy exists. Um, and so that's why we really go back in time and delve into all of that. I will say just on sort of like a on the regular doctor level, this is a really hard problem. It's super complicated. And I think that one of the big issues right now is that in our in the medical system that we have, um, we don't have the room for for time and complexity, you know? And so you walk into a doctor's office with 30 different complaints and you only have 15 minutes with that doctor, you're not gonna get a lot of time to go through all of that. Um, and so I think what we are seeing with, with Lyme disease is actually very similar to what we've seen with long COVID is that this is actually a paradigm shift in the way in which we have to view these diseases um, because depending on who we are and what we show up with, these diseases can look very different. And I think what happened with Lyme is that not a, you know it was a slow trickle of people coming in every year with these acute Lyme symptoms that then progressed into long-term Lyme disease symptoms. And the medical community really just tried to write it off and, and, to, and to make it disappear because it was complicated, because it was nebulous, because it looked like these other things. It was very easy to say, oh, you're stressed. Oh, you know, they would call these the aches and pains of daily living. It was very easy to just send these people on their way and pretend like they weren't a problem. And that's why we're in we're in the problem we are now is that everything got simplified uh, and these doctors were able to say that you know the patients that they saw got better um, because the patients that uh, didn't get better didn't come back to see them because they knew that they weren't going to get any treatment right and so it became an easy narrative of well everyone we see is getting better and I think it is important you know I think with Lyme disease you know 80% of people seem to do pretty well our film is about the 10 to 20% that don't and we still think that 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 portion of people really matters. And it's a growing population because more and more people are getting sick. And to your point about the correlation with COVID, we're only beginning to understand the outlines of what the percentage of people who have COVID, who've had COVID, will end up with what they call long-term COVID. Mm -hmm. the, very much in the same vein of we, we're still in the area, to, to my mind, we're still in the time frame of not knowing how the, the long term is going to play out and very much like in the way that Lyme has. Well, and there's one other thing that I think is to add to, to your what you were just saying, and that is if you're presenting with a number of symptoms, then by by virtue of that, it's going to require an extended period of time to address all of those different symptoms, which is where I believe we enter into the conversation about the insurance companies and their reticence in this. Lindsay, what, what have, am I describing that accurately? Yeah, definitely. You know, as Winslow said, Lyme patients present in so many different ways. Doctors only have 15 minutes with a person. So it's very expensive to properly diagnose and treat a Lyme disease patient. The doctors that we had to go to to get better spend hours with you 
during your first appointment and follow-up appointments. I think our first appointments at, you know, range between three and six hours with a doctor, and they are going all the way back to the beginning of your life. And I think, you know, someone asked me recently, what did you learn through this experience that was unexpected for you? And it's really that there's this other model of healthcare that exists that is actually addressing the root cause of so many of the illnesses that we're facing these days, but only a few number of people with the access or the resources can, can actually find those answers and spend time with those doctors in that, that model of healthcare. Yeah. There are two healthcare systems that are playing out side by side right now. And one is within the insurance model where patients are, you know, red flagged. And we get into this in the film where Lyme disease patients were actually red flagged as the low hanging fruit, the, the easy money to save for the insurance companies. Let's just get rid of these people. Let's, let's deter them from seeking treatment. And we know that they're so sick, they're not even going to be able to keep trying. And, you know, in our film, Julia, our main subject, her father, Enrico, basically quit his job to become her, her full-time caregiver, which also includes her full-time advocate against the insurance companies. And it's just a travesty what is happening. Everybody is struggling with insurance companies these days, but not until you become severely ill with a, with a chronic illness, especially, do you realize just how unsupportive that system is, even if you're paying for it. One of minor listeners were talking about the documentary film, Quiet Epidemic, and we're <clears throat> we're talking with Winslow Crane Murdoch and Lindsay Keys, that are the co-directors of the film. It's opening here in Los Angeles on January 26th. And um, are you in town by any chance for any Q&As or... Yeah, we will both be there um, Saturday and Sunday as well. I think it's playing at 420 on Saturday and Sunday. So we'll be there for Q&As. And our, and our producing team will be there as well. So. so this is at the Lemley... Lemley Santa Monica. Santa Monica. Oh, fantastic film center. In the film, you get into the people who are dealing with this. And we also have spend a fair amount of time with people who have been kind of on the outside looking and trying to affect changes within within the uh, medical establishment and their expectations about the disease. Let me let me interrupt myself by saying I want to let people know they can find out more about the film by going to thequietepidemic.com and there you'll be able to find out more about where the film is screening, but also ways in which you can participate by taking action, by by just being a part of this, if you care about this. Because as you said, I think we're entering into an era where at Lindsay, as you described, where we're we're going to be facing things that are viruses that we don't even we have no idea are over the horizon, and they are going to be impacting us in many ways. The environment is became becoming more and more of a source of these kinds of viruses with the with the decline in the uh, permafrost in the in the colder regions of the world we're beginning to release spores and all kinds of things that haven't been unlocked for hundreds of thousands of years so this is this may be the new sort of paradigm for our our healthcare moving forward things that we don't know of yet and we need to be on guard to do to be able to address that 
in light of all that in the medical establishments res, uh, reticence and resistance to this and I mentioned the insurance companies what are the ways in which we as potential patients and people who 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 can to begin to affect how we address these sort of things what are the what are our options yeah i think it's a it's a tough question because right now our options are, are are pretty limited but i think that there is some hope from people within the community that that lyme and now long covid could be a new way of of how we address medicine and how we address these diseases i think something that dr neil specter who's in the film always talked about was the most important thing for a physician to do is to listen and he was really um you know neil was this really interesting guy because he was so compassionate and so caring and he was also so scientific and so good good at you know all of the all of the technical side of these things but he was also very wary of the technical side i think he used it in a way in which it helped um, his understanding of of where his compassion and where his listening led him. And it was a tool for that. But he was very wary of these sort of one-stop shops where people are going to start setting up these medical communities where you, you sequence your DNA and this computer spits out, okay, well, you can't have headaches because your genome doesn't say that, that you have the headache gene, you know? And he would always talk about that. And so I think to him, it was really about the art of medicine. And the art of medicine was you have this person in front of you, sit with them, touch them, look at them, and really try to dissect what it is that they're going through. My hope is that Lyme disease and now long COVID could be a model for how we understand complexity and how we start to search for root causes and how we start to understand that all of these things operate differently depending on who we are. You know, I think one of the most frustrating parts about having Lyme disease was getting passed from specialist to specialist. Where you, and, and you just spent so many times, so much time in doctor's offices because they'd be like, oh, that's the nose person. Like, I can't look at your nose. Like, let's send you over to the nose guy. And like three months later, you're seeing the nose guy. And he's like, yeah, that's actually not my that's not my field. Like, let's send you over to the cardiologist, you know, and so you're getting bounced around from all of these places. And all of them are telling you the same thing, which is, yeah, things are weird, but we don't really know why. And we don't have the time to figure it out. Um, and so my hope is that, yeah, we could create a system in which that time um, is able to be spent. But as Lindsay said right now, like the only way to do that is to have the resources and the means to do so at this point in time. And so it's incredibly, incredibly unequal. The people who get the best healthcare in this country, no surprise, are the ones who are able to pay for it. And I think that's a big part of the film is that when you have a for-profit healthcare system, the incentives are always skewed um, and not skewed in the patient's favor. And so I do think that that is a big part of the conversation is how do you put patient care front and center in a system where the whole idea is to profit off of people who are sick. And I think that's just a huge issue that we don't have good answers to. Lindsay, we need to change the way we 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 take care of people, right? Yeah, absolutely. Looking at Lyme disease and the number of people who are misdiagnosed with other mostly autoimmune diseases. So a lot of people with Lyme disease previously had diagnoses of multiple sclerosis, ALS, fibromyalgia, lupus, Alzheimer's, mental illnesses, schizophrenia, depression, anxiety. I mean, it's on and on and on. People who have heart issues, idiopathic illnesses, meaning we don't know what's causing this, this illness. Those people are fueling the pharmaceutical industry because those are lifelong diagnoses. They, they, no one talks about how to heal from MS or how to heal Alzheimer's, for example. And yet, if you look at Chris Christopherson, for example, 
And we know his story because he's a celebrity, but how many people who are not celebrities are living the same, the, you know, following the same path. Chris Christofferson was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. He was retiring. He wasn't able to perform anymore. Eventually he found out that he had Lyme disease, was treated properly. His memory came back and he was performing again. And so and we have heard so many stories like that. People who were wheelchair bound with multiple sclerosis diagnoses, they had the lesions on their brains and the scans after proper treatment with Lyme disease, the lesions are going away and they eventually are functioning again and, and able to walk in some cases. So yes, our, our incentives are completely backwards. We, we know some doctors who, who don't, who refuse to call it a healthcare system at this point, they call it a sick care system. And so, like you just said, Mike, how do we flip that script and incentivize making people healthy? That's, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a tough problem, but we are all in this together, whether we're ill or not, someone is going to get ill in your family or you yourself will get ill someday. And, you know, as we like to tell people, it's so much easier to advocate for yourself and others when you're healthy. And so, and right now, so much of this healthcare or sick care activism is falling on the patient communities who are very ill, their caregivers, their patients, and they're also trying to shift this paradigm. We need reinforcements from the general public and also our politicians, but that's also complicated because many of those politicians are funded by these companies who are profiting off of the current system. So it's a hard problem, but it, it has to be talked about if we're ever gonna begin solving it. You're absolutely right. And uh, there are some good signs on the horizon. Uh, I just saw a documentary film about uh, called White Coat Rebels. It's about a, a younger men and women who are getting into the medical profession who see what you're describing and the need to change that, to begin to move away from every person as a profit center. And we've, we've got to move away from that. And they're making some inroads in that regard, but it's, it's a long haul. That's a long haul. And, uh, but the film, I, but I, once again, I want to let people know the quiet epidemic, terrific work here. Congratulations on the film. Then go to thequietepidemic.com to find out more about the film as well as ways in which they can be a part of the solution. My congratulations to both of you on your work here. It's opening at the Lemley Santa Monica Film Center on January 26th. It will be posted on website for filmschoolradio.com as well as thequietepidemic.com as well. So congratulations to both of you. Co-directors of the film, Winslow Crane Murdoch, as well as Lindsay Keys. To both of you, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having thank us. You. Really appreciate thank you so it. Much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.